0: Take your Bibles if you would. And let's open the Word of God to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. So once you've found your place, if you would stand with us for the reading of God's Word, we'll have prayer first, and then we'll read verses 6 through 8 together. Let's pray. Father, how we love you today, how we thank you for your Word. Lord, this is that anchor that we talked about. Lord, you, you first are our anchor in salvation. And, uh, Lord, you, you know that, um, Lord, you take care of us and the things that we need. And so, Lord, we look to you as that anchor. We also look to your word as an anchor as well, giving us advice, guidance, counsel, and wisdom, uh, Lord, far beyond our understanding. And So we thank you for that. And we ask now as we come to the reading of God's word, you'd speak to our hearts, that you'd bless, Lord. You'd be our teacher and guide through the scriptures And Lord, apply these things to our lives so that we'll know what you'd have us do as a result of what we learned today. And we'll thank you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so in verse 6, the Bible says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. I want us to read verse 8 again and take that as our text verse if you would. Verse 8 says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy or vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Thank you so much. You may be seated. This morning, I'd like to preach a message that I've entitled simply, Spoiled Christians. Spoiled. The verse that we read twice, verse 8, gives us an admonition. Because in Christ, sometimes we we can get focused on our blessings and not pay attention to some of the things that are in our surroundings. Paul gives a reminder here that we should beware Beware, that is, be aware, or be spoiled. What an admonition. And so today I want us to think about that challenge. The challenge to be aware and not be spoiled. The word spoiled is an interesting word here. If you look it up in the dictionary, it has several several different meanings. And there are several applications to the context of this thought. The word spoil means to be damaged or become unfit use it means to injure the character or disposition of by excessive indulgence spoiled it means to take by force steal to carry one off as a captive to spoil in the bible there's uh, occasional mention of taking spoil as israel would conquer a nation and they would take their spoil in other words they would go and capture some of their belongings and things and take it to themselves. With this in mind, Paul writes to the Christian, to the everyday believer in verse 8, and says, beware lest any man spoil you. He's giving us the idea that not just nations are spoiled when they are conquered in battle, but you and I could be spoiled in everyday life. Think of that. Christians can be spoiled, first of all, in the sense of being rotten. From the definition, we get the the words to become unfit for use. Things that are rotten are unfit for use, are they not? Think about that. We can become unfit for use because of a rotten attitude. Isn't it so easy sometimes the way life knocks us around? Isn't it so easy sometimes to just allow ourselves to sour, to sullen, to become rotten in our attitude? The Bible has several admonitions about that. Here's one in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. The Bible says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be what? Defiled. Think about that. Being defiled or being unfit for use through rottenness, that root of bitterness that springs up in the heart and soul. If you understand Bible language, then you understand that bitterness in the scripture could be easily equated to something like cancer in the realm of science. Because a cancer is a, is a terminal condition right? That, that's uh, damning to the person who has that. To hear that diagnosis is fearful because so often it is fatal. So it is, spiritually speaking, for the believer, when we're taking root of bitterness and we become bitter people, so often is it not the same uh, serious tone? Is it not the same kind of diagnosis? Because what does it do? It, it, it kills It kills so many things in our life. It kills our joy. It kills our enthusiasm. It kills our faith and our hope. It it even kills relationships with people around us when we become bitter. It's like a poison. We have an example in the Bible of someone who became rotten through bitterness, and that would be Jonah. If you read the little book of Jonah, just four chapters in the Bible, you're going to find some amazing things in that story. God called the prophet Jonah to go and preach repentance to Nineveh. But Nineveh was a town uh, where the enemies of Israel lived. They were gruesome, fearful enemies. They were violent enemies. They were enemies that had known, been known in battle to skin people alive and do such horrific things. And this was before graphic television and and 3D movies and all of these kind of things. So obviously they they were a little more aware and, and, and more sensitive to, to those kind of things than, than maybe we are today because of watching that. Jonah had such a hatred for the Ninevites that he would rather them die and burn in hell than go preach the gospel to them. And so... Jonah was so adamant about this opinion of his that instead of surrendering to God and obeying the Lord's command, Jonah himself went the opposite direction, running from the Lord. He took a ship down to Tarsus. This was such an important occasion in God's sight that God sent a storm to trouble Jonah. And when the mariners were aware that Jonah was the problem, Uh, they threw him overboard as Jonah advised them to do. If you want to get out of the storm, you're going to have to cast me over. And maybe Jonah, in his own way, maybe he thought, okay, this this is hopeless. This is my only way out. Just throw me overboard. And he thought, I'll drown at sea in this storm, and I won't have to go preach to Nineveh. Can you imagine that? But God had a surprise. The Bible says God had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And this fish delivered Jonah to the nearest shore, to Nineveh. Of course, by then, his heart was ready because he cried to the Lord. And the Bible says that God had this fish spit him out on dry land. So Jonah now, in his new seaweed attire, goes to Nineveh, preaches the gospel with this glowing white appearance, having been in the belly of the fish three days and three nights stunned the Ninevites hear this message and beyond belief from the king all the way down the whole city repents and as we read this story in the Bible we are in awe because I'm telling you today that I don't know of one evangelist that wouldn't give his right arm so to speak to have a revival meeting conducted on that scale amen where the whole city gets saved And yet, we find Jonah goes to sit up on the hill and await the judgment of God and gets angry at the sight of their repentance. Wow. Can you imagine? What does the Bible say about Jonah? It says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and out of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. Now therefore, since they had repented, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Wow. Do you see what bitterness does? Bitterness got into the mind of Jonah, to the heart of Jonah, and it caused him to think that it was better for him to die than for Nineveh to repent. It's it's really... It's eerie. It's scary, isn't it? How one minute you can be rejoicing in the Lord in one frame of mind and feel like everything is totally as it should be. And the next minute be in the opposite frame of mind and feel totally settled as if this is the right perspective. And yet the two are so opposite. And that's what we see Jonah go from one mindset to the other and not even realize that he's been affected. Hey, you know, that's kind of what spiritual warfare looks like. That's kind of what it is to go a few rounds with the devil. He is able to attack us in ways that we don't even see coming. He doesn't use missiles and tanks. He doesn't use swords and shields. The Bible describes the devil's attack as those fiery darts. Often they are thoughts and feelings that settle within us, that shift our perspective, that deceive us, and cause us to act contrary to the will of God and to the mind of the Lord so that we put ourselves in jeopardy. And that is exactly what Jonah did. Wow. Then said the Lord, doest thou well to be angry? You know what's really strange? That's how the story ends. And we don't know to this day, did Jonah ever get his heart right? Did he ever rejoice at the great victory of Nineveh? turning to God in repentance? By the way, do you, know, do you know a forgiven enemy is a truly conquered one? You know the best way to get rid of an enemy is to have them get saved and forgive them and trust Christ? And Hey, you know that changes everything. Did Jonah ever see that? We'll have to find out when we get to heaven because Jonah was spoiled in this way. That he was affected so. What a great example to us of the danger, the damage that bitterness can do. But we can also be spoiled. We can become unfit for use by allowing our talents or our testimony to sit idle and become rotten. For an example of this, I give you Lot in Sodom. The Bible says in Genesis thirteen twelve that there was a day in time he parted ways with his spiritual influence, Abraham. And the Bible says there in Genesis thirteen twelve that he turned and he pitched his tent towards Sodom. What a change in influence. And it's true, isn't it? We choose who we're going to allow to influence us, to teach us. We choose who we listen to, who we believe, who we accept. Lot made his choice It was a great place to raise cattle, but a horrible place to raise a family. And there was a day when God came and said, Their wickedness has come up before me. And Abraham interceded on behalf of Lot and his family, and he cried out in prayer, Urgent supplication. And he said, God, if there are 50 righteous in the city, would you destroy the city for 50 righteous? God said, No, if I find 50 righteous there, then I will not destroy the city. Abraham thought for a moment and said, oh, no, Lord, I know Lot's been there for a little while, but it is a wicked city. How about 40, Lord? Would you, would you spare the city, Lord, for 40 righteous people? And the Lord said, okay, if I find there 40 righteous. Abraham came again and said, Lord, what about 30? Would you do it for 30? Lord, would you do it for 20? Lord, um, maybe none of them listened to Lot. How about 10? Would you just spare the city for 10? And God said, if I find 10 righteous people, I will not destroy the city. He left his talk talk with Abraham, and, and the Lord sent the two angels into Sodom and Gomorrah where they were not found. You think it's bad today? A city where there were not found ten, no, not ten righteous people. And what happened there? The angels came to Lot and said, we're going to destroy this place. Up, You and your family, get out of here. Because we can't do anything until you're, until you're gone. You got to get out. The Bible says that Lot went to his sons-in-law and he pleaded with them, God's going to destroy the city. He began to speak of righteousness and judgment. The Bible says in Genesis 19, 14, he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. They laughed. They didn't believe him. Oh, man, Lot, what are you talking about? We'd never heard you talk like this before. What was that? Lot had allowed his testimony to become idle and rotten. And he seemed as one that mocked. Because of that, he couldn't even influence his own son-in-laws to flee the city, to be spared the judgment of God. Yes, they were spoiled. Christians can also become spoiled in the sense of being pampered. Remember our definition says to injure the character by excessive indulgence. Is it possible? Oh, yes, yes, it's possible. We can become guilty of excessive indulgence being pampered with things. We can become pampered by our possessions. For that, I give you the rich young ruler. As a matter of fact, would you just turn there with me for this one? Look at Luke chapter 18. The Bible tells us the story of the rich young ruler, the man who allowed possessions to get in his way between him and Christ. Notice what happened in verse 18 of Luke 18. Jesus said a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one, that is God. That's kind of like Jesus saying, hold it, buddy, are you saying I'm God? Which he was. So Jesus is calling him out on the definition of what is good anyway. We use that word so carelessly. He said, thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing. Sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful. For he was very rich. Think about that story. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye, a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said, Who then can be saved? And he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. I'm so glad he said that, aren't you? That was beginning to sound kind of bleak. You know, selling your positions is not a requirement for salvation. But the first commandment is to love God with all your heart. And so it does become a problem when we love things more than we love God. Even when they are the things of God. And we can become guilty of that. We can be spoiled in the sense that we become pampered with things. The rich young ruler was one example of how he let those things get in between him and God. In Luke 12, verse 15, Jesus said, A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. My, how we need to remember that and hold the things of this world loosely, loosely. Because, by the way, the things of this world are not the things that make us rich. Not only that, we can become pampered, we can become guilty of excessive indulgence, being pampered not only with things, but with pleasures, we have a Bible example of one who was so spoiled. His name was Demas. Do you remember him? Paul, on one occasion in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, one of the travelers of Paul in his evangelistic team was a fellow by the name of Demas. But on this occasion, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. And what was that? Some activity, some distraction, something that pulled him away from the work of God to do something of obviously less importance. Demas. Not only that, do you know we can be spoiled? and, And Christians have been. Spoiled in the sense they become rotten, spoiled in the sense they become pampered. Hey, do you know we can be spoiled in the sense of being robbed? Robbed, yes. Turn with me to John chapter 10. The Bible tells us that this is the ambition of our enemy. In John 10.10, we are given a warning of his ways and what he desires to do ultimately to us. In John chapter 10, verse number 10. Notice that Jesus is speaking, and he says this, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. He said, I am come that ye might have life, and that ye may have it more abundantly. So Jesus is promoting life, abundant life even. But he said, Our enemy, the thief, is coming to steal and to kill and to destroy. He's not about life. He's about destruction of life. Think about that. Did you know we can be spoiled in the sense of being robbed? And that's exactly what the devil wants to do to you. He wants to rob you of your joy. He wants to rob you of your peace. He wants to rob you of your contentment. The devil wants to rob you in your Christian life. He wants to rob you of compassion for others. He wants to rob you of your zeal for God. He wants to rob you of your witness and your testimony by doing all of these. If he can pry you away from the life and service of God, then he will rob you of your rewards and he will rob you of the value of a life of walking with Jesus. It's part of his plan to steal, to kill, and to destroy. It's so easy for him to do, isn't it? But Christians not only can be spoiled in the sense of being robbed, they can be spoiled also in the sense of being captured. Now, you may be thinking, oh, not me. The devil will never take me captured. I I won't be captured by the devil. And I would say to you today that you sound like Peter when he said, oh, Lord, not me. I'll never deny you. Because the Bible says, let a man, when he thinketh he standeth, take heed, lest he fall. The truth is, all of us have been or will be at some time captivated by things that can capture us. And most often, when we allow ourselves to be captivated, when the devil does get that hypnotic attention from us over things, it often ends in our capture, does it not? even if it's but for a short while. And so we find a spoiled Christian can be captured or captivated. Our definition said to carry one off as a captive. It seems like the devil has the ability to do that. We can be captivated by philosophy. I don't know about you, but I've seen it in my years of ministry. We can be captivated by philosophy. Notice what Paul said in 2 Corinthians, if you'll turn there with me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul had something to say about this matter of philosophy in the faith. In 2 Corinthians 11, we begin reading in verse 1. And it says, Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused to you, to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, he said, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And I want you to know there are many Christians that have fallen prey to this. They've been pried away from the simplicity that's in Christ to believe many other doctrines through philosophy. Philosophy. He said in verse 4, For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, you might well bear with him. Let's skip down to verse 13. What does it all mean? In verse 13 he says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. You know, Brother Jude said there are certain men crept in unawares. That's how they're able to do it, because they look like they're true teachers and preachers of the Bible. They look like they are true prophets of God. They look like they're sincere in their motive. Ah, but their agenda is far something else. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, he said of them that they are ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. He said, now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. Paul is saying, beware or be spoiled. Through philosophy, people can take you captive and they can captivate you with these teachings. You can be captivated by philosophy. Hey, I'm telling you, I've seen well-meaning Christians splitting hairs over doctrinal questions that are just debatable matters while the world dies and goes to hell. And we can be so caught up. No wonder people say we're so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. Is it possible to be such? Yeah, it is. It is when you entertain questions that have no answer. And all they do is cause strife and division among God's people and cause the work of evangelism and redemption to cease. Look, when, when, you're, when the end result of your movement is that we no longer evangelize the world, I say something's wrong with your movement. Don't tell me that's the doctrine of God when it goes contrary to what God called us to do. But people can be so captivated, so captured by philosophy. They can also be captured by vain deceit. That was actually mentioned in our text. Vain deceit. You know what vain is? Vain is good for nothing. And you know what deceit is? Deceit is when you think you're right. We've all been there, haven't we? We think we're right. We think we're doing the right thing. We think we're thinking the right way. Who was ever captivated by vain deceit? Well, how about Samson? Samson is a man in the Bible who was born with a purpose. As a matter of fact, he's one of the very few men whose birth was announced by an angel. Tell me that's not important. Samson was born for the specific purpose of delivering Israel from their oppressors. But in his lifetime, Samson made no effort to deliver Israel. He only fought with his oppressors when they got in the way of his personal pursuits. So God had to allow conflict to come up between them in order for his will to be accomplished. And Satan found himself, or Samson found himself, fighting with them a lot. Isn't that interesting? Did you know our life can be frustrating when we're working against God's purpose. And so if you ever find yourself fighting with the Lord or beating your head against the wall, as it seems, stop and look around. Are you going the wrong way? The Bible says about Samson's life that he slew more in his death than he did in his life. That might have been a casual statement, but not in the life of Samson because his purpose was to deliver Israel from them in the first place. Sad, isn't it? When his death would mean more to his purpose than his life. But that's how it is when you're captivated by vain deceit. That's how it is when you're captured by philosophy. Those who are captivated are usually then captured by the very thing they enjoy. That's why 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking, seeking, seeking whom he may devour. I heard a preacher say one time, the devil will pass by your house a thousand times to find the front door cracked open just once. Just once. We're really no match for a foe like that unless we're truly focused on the Word of God and allow Him to keep us on the right track, on the right thought. Jesus informed Peter even. He said, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But he said, I've prayed for you. He didn't mean, I've prayed for you, so you're going to skip the sifting. He meant, I've prayed for you, so that you make it through it. And isn't that what the Bible says of us in Ephesians when we're told to put all in the armor of God? Why? So that in the end, having done all, to stand. And God's will and God's desire for us is when the smoke clears and the dust settles that we're found still standing. But I'm telling you today, the only way that can happen is we have to beware. I believe that's why this passage is here. Paul is giving us a warning. He said in 2 Timothy 2.4, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And in Colossians, he said, Beware, lest any man spoil you. Because it's easy to sit here this morning and say, Well, obviously Paul experienced that. Well, obviously Timothy experienced that. Maybe some of the folks at Colossae, But God put this in the scriptures and preserved it down through the years. Because this isn't something that was a warning just for them. It's for me and it's for you. It's for us right here today. Because we have the same enemy that has the same strategy. He has the same desire for you that he had for them. And so God, through his inspired word, says today, beware or be spoiled. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, how we love you today and how we thank you for the admonition, the reminder to stay focused. Help us, Lord, that we might keep our attention on you, on your word, on the things that matter. Because it's so easy to be distracted by the things around us And if we become too focused on any one of them, we could be spoiled. Like Peter, who was walking on the water and then all of a sudden became focused on the waves. The very thing he had victory over, the very thing he was walking on, all of a sudden troubled him. He became distracted and focused on. And because of that, almost drowned lord help us today that we might seek you that we might beware and be aware so that we are not spoiled in jesus name we ask amen let's stand together with our heads bowed our eyes closed if god's speaking to your heart this morning maybe you'd like to take a moment and just come and say lord help me Help me clear my mind, clear my heart. Help me stay focused. Help me stay on the right track. Maybe today your desire is to have the fog cleared. Maybe you've been through some of that spoiling. How would you like to walk out of that today? Won't you come and ask God to help you? The devil takes us captive so easily, it seems. It's because he knows us so well. He understands our human carnal nature. He knows how to get our attention. He knows how to get us focused on the wrong things. Things that will swallow us. Things that will conquer us. Things that will lead us astray. And what's so evil and wily about it is all the while, We think we're doing the right thing. That's why Paul said, I bring every thought to Christ. Take every thought captive and subject it to the Lord. Compare it to His Word. Be guided by the truth and the light and the way. This morning, let's turn our eyes. On Jesus. Let's look full in His wonderful face. And let's let the things of this world fade and grow strangely dim. old time preacher by the name of Lester Roloff he also happened to be a pilot and he would use an expression from his pilot experience in, in the faith to, to direct and disciple others he would say this he would say trust him when you can't track him would also say, you know, pilots experience vertigo. That is sometimes when they don't have the right perspective or, or vision, they, they lose the sense or the ability to, to recognize whether they're right side up or upside down. Obviously, that can be dangerous. And so he would say, you have to follow the instruments. Those gauges, those Those numbers on the dash will help you. Well, you know, God gave us the instrument of his word. And when life gets crazy and we feel like we're upside down, we just have to cling to the instrument, run back to the word. And we have to let God lead us through that. I know that probably sounds easy, but it, it really feels very difficult in the moment. You just have to do it. God wants to bring us through. And he wants in the end for us to still be standing after we encounter the world and the flesh and the devil. So let's give it our all. Let's look to the Lord. Let's be aware and not be spoiled.